Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. If you look at Psalms 119, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. You see, God's word illuminates our path. His word is the foundation. His word is the guide. And we have to learn to go to the word so that we can gain insight and understanding of what's happening around us. And if you're lacking direction and understanding, our suggestion is go to John 16, 13. And that'll tell you that when, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He won't guide you into any lies. He won't guide you into any conspiracy. He'll guide you into all truth. Say all truth. All truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. From whom? The Father, perhaps? No, just and the he father. will tell you about the future. Say the future. The future. So let me ask you. If the Holy Spirit is the one to direct you into all truth, and you want to know truth, where do you go? When's the last time you've actually asked the Holy Spirit for a clear understanding of his truth? I think James said this morning. You said this morning, right? Yeah, yeah. We should all be asking him daily for wisdom and for truth. Absolutely. You want me to keep going? Yep. All right. You're going to throw some shade. I got a download from the Holy Spirit because I was asking him this morning. He says, he who has hair till the end shall be saved. But I got a download too. He who has the largest brain shall have no hair. Okay, so you got me back. I think what it actually says is he who overcomes to the end Absolutely. shall be saved. So whatever our view is, it's so easy to come up with a deceptive understanding of what is truth based on what feels good in the moment. And so it's so important that we're not looking for truth for our comfort's sake, but we're looking for truth because it's declared and it is our pathway to righteousness and to the end with Jesus Christ. And as we go into Revelation 22, I'll read verse 18 and 19. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. That means we need to be careful when we talk about things like he who has hair and he who doesn't have hair, because that's not what it says. Okay? Now, we did that for humor's sake, but we don't want to actually teach that as doctrine. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and the holy city that are described in this book. So we know that when we're looking at the scriptures, there's some general guidelines or rules that we use when we're interpreting right. the scriptures, okay? And it's, it's the study of hermeneutics, which we're not going to go into. We're just going to give you some simplified uh, versions of this uh, for the sake of t- the conversation that we're going to have over the next few weeks. 
so that when we're looking at the prophetic insights that the scriptures have, we want to make sure that we weigh the word of God properly. So the first one that we see is that scripture never contradicts scripture. Uh, that means when the Bible is, is talking about something, it's never going to contradict itself somewhere else. And, and, you know, people send me all these articles about, oh, the Bible's got contradictions. I'm like, show me one. And they're like, well, in this place it says there's 79,000, and in this place it says 78,676. Okay, look. There's maybe 200 people in the room right now, and someone else will say there's 207. Okay? One, you're speaking a little more figuratively, there's about 200 people. One, you're trying to be exact. Is that a contradiction? It's not really a contradiction when you look at the intent of what they're trying to say. So we have to remember when we're looking at the scriptures, scripture is the best way um, to look at scripture, but it's never going to contradict itself. The next one. Figures of speech. A figure of speech is any deviation either in thought or expression from the ordinary and simply, simple method of speaking, usually using words like or as. Though your, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. It's not literal. It's, it's figurative. And, and so we need to understand it that way, that when the words like or as are used, it's taking a figurative understanding. There's also metaphors. Uh, a metaphor, like, for example, in Revelation 12, verse 4, where it says, the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. There's, you know, in understanding and in the interpretation of that, we have to understand that as a metaphor, even though Pastor RJ likes dragons, um, the dragon isn't a literal dragon, nor is the woman a literal woman, but they're metaphors of what the real intent is. And the third thing in figures of speech are idioms. And an idiom is like, an example of that would be where Paul references to having a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Was there literally a thorn in his flesh somewhere? I mean, if there was, he could just reach down and pick it out. Um, but it was something more. It was something greater than just a thorn in the flesh. So when we're talking about a thorn in the flesh, does the Bible say what that is? I've heard all kinds of things from eye diseases to a messenger of Satan, the buffetodum, to different things, right? We, we conclude based on the evidence that we have, but we don't really know. And one of the dangers I think that we run into when we're interpreting the scriptures is oftentimes people come with an end result that they're looking for, and then they develop the scriptures and their theology around the end result. Yep. Okay that can be dangerous because what you want is the scriptures to point to where you're supposed to be, not come up with an idea and then make the scriptures fit your idea. Does this make sense? Okay. And when we look at some of these things, people have a concept that they've created, you know, and, and they'll stick the concept there and then they go and find the scriptures that match their point of view. And that can be very dangerous. It, it not only creates division and dispute, uh, you may not be doing justice to the text based on some of the other literary functions. And, and I mean, to his comment, who doesn't like smog the magnificent? Mm -hmm. Sure. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, in context. Oh, yeah, it's mine. 
The context determines the writer's intent. And when scripture is taken out of context, you can turn it, you can make the scripture say anything. And the truth is we, we, we can. We have to be very careful of that as preachers. And I, I like to joke about this one, and, and it's not really a funny matter, but it's really easy to twist the scripture. So how many know that um, this is how you don't do it? In the Bible, it talks about how Judas went and hanged himself. If you read the Gospels, Judas went and hung himself. He did. He betrayed Christ, and then later he hung himself. There's another place Jesus is teaching. Notice I said another place, and it says, go ye and do likewise. So if I cut, Judas went and hanged himself, paste, go ye and do likewise, like we should all go hang ourselves. So that's not sound doctrine. Why? Because you have to read the verses before and the verses after to get a full understanding of what the author was trying to say, especially to the original audience that that was intended for. Are we catching this? So context is super important when you're interpreting scriptures. And oftentimes, the reason I shared that earlier is too many people start with an end result and then they start cutting and pasting scriptures that fit the end result that they want, not looking at the context that those scriptures are in and then they end up off base or, or coming to a wrong conclusion. The last one that we wanna uh, point out today, and there's, there's probably over 20 different hermeneutics that we could talk about, but we've only chosen four specific ones to just to give help, to give a, a basic guideline. And the fourth one is, let scripture define scripture. Martin Luther's quotes, the best interpreter of scripture is not Pastor RJ. It's not Pastor Larry. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's scripture. Scripture is the best interpreter of scripture. When you let man interpret scripture, allegorizing it instead of accepting what it says at face value, you build a case on what the reader thinks or wants to hear instead of what God's word intended to say. And... Um, so men are fallible, God's word is perfect. So whenever possible, you always let scripture interpret itself. And that's why it's so important that when we're studying scripture, we study it not just in the context of that particular passage, but we also include other like passages which are referencing the same topic or event. This is why I'm going to add this in as a bonus for you guys here at 12:10 um, p.m. on Sunday. It says, "Out of the mouth are two or three witnesses. We establish doctrine." Yeah. Right. So you don't take an obscure reference that's there once, unless it's the words of Christ, and build a doctrine on it. Okay. And and that can get you in trouble too. So I want to move on now, though. Um, there's four general views of Revelation, and and. There's many variations within these views, but generally all the views of the book of Revelation fall under one of these four categories that I'm about to go through um, for all of you, just to give you a general idea. And uh, the first one is called the historicist view or the historical view where the book of Revelation is a chronological history starting in the first century under Nero, the Roman emperor, and, uh, or under Domitian, the one that came a little bit later. Um, this view almost always includes the uh, link between the Pope and the Antichrist, or the papacy is the Antichrist, ultimately recording history as it unfolds until the end. And throughout history, there's been some pretty popular people that kind of taught this view, um, including Luther, Calvin, Wesley, Fox, Finney, Spurgeon, just to name a few. 
But then we saw as the church was progressing into the 20th century and we had World War I and World War II, um, there was a, a portion of this view that kind of started to fall apart a little bit because the view says that progressively the earth is better every day because of Christianity and the planet. And when World War I and World War II happened, it didn't look like the world was becoming a better place. And we know that Christians founded hospitals and education, and there's many things how Christianity really has changed the world, including women having equal rights with men. That's only something that happened because of Christianity. Uh, you'll be hard-pressed hard to find a culture where there should be a proper relationship with men and women working together. Um, but anyway, that's the, that's the one view, the historicist view. The next one is the preterist view. I call it the preterist view. Uh, there's several variations of this. Uh, they all believe that Revelations wrapped up in the first century under Domitian, the Roman Empire, and Revelations was written around 68 AD. Now, most scholars believe that John wrote the book of Revelation around 90 AD under Domitian, so that kind of creates a little bit of a problem for this preterist view uh, because they push it before uh, Nero came in and burned Jerusalem. And then there's the futurist view, which is generally a literal view of the book of Revelation where the prophecies from chapter 4 to 22 are yet to be fulfilled or are currently being fulfilled today. Uh, as, as a rule, um, we'll be presenting things from that perspective, okay? Uh, we, we are very much in agreement that the futurist uh, view of Revelation is probably the one uh, that fits the best in light of looking at the scriptures in light of what we just talked about, all scripture interprets scripture. There is another view called the idealist view or the spiritual view, which is the book of Revelation is all imagery and allegory with no intent to represent actual events. Uh, the sad thing about this view is it often leaves out the coming of Christ and his kingdom. And for me, the whole book of Revelation is about the coming of Christ and his kingdom. So again, sometimes we, we miss the whole point of the conversation. Uh, so the first... The first couple there, the historicists and the preterists, there's a little bit of a dating issue with that. Um, and then when we look at the uh, idealist view or the spiritual view, they call it, they make it all allegory. And it seems that while it's a prophetic book and there is some allegory in it with the language being used, especially you have to remember when John the Apostle was writing this in the first century, he had language of that day that he had to use to look into the future and describe things that we see today. They had horses and chariots. Today we have tanks and airplanes. How do you describe a tank with the language of the first century? Do you understand? So he was trying to put words to something that they didn't even have words for yet. And from there we'll go to the nation of Israel as a country and spiritual Israel. Uh, to keep it simple, natural Israel is people who are born Jewish or Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Spiritual Israel is people who believe in Jesus the Messiah or the born again ones, the church. And there's a lot of confusion about this when we have conversations around end times. Um, there's an idea called replacement theology that Pastor Larry is going to explain to you. Yeah, I just want to keep it very brief. In regards to replacement theology, the concept is that because the nation Israel rejected the good news of Jesus Christ, that anything prophetic towards the future is, has been thwarted of the nation Israel and has been passed on to the church. So reference to Israel is actually referencing the church going forward. 
And, that, and that's probably the most simple way to describe it. Um, there's a lot more in-depth theology that goes with that, but for the sake of time, I'll just leave it at that and cap yeah. it there. So we have the end-time prophecy touches both the nation of Israel and the land yeah. and the church as God's representatives here on earth. Did everyone catch that? It's not one or the, it's not this or that, as we talked about, it's this and that. It touches both of them. So our final takeaways for today would be, we need to bathe ourselves in the word of God. Continually, every day, we need to be in the word of God. We need to know and understand what God's heart is for us as individuals, and even more so for us as a church, because we are the body of Jesus Christ. And we need to pray without ceasing, asking for a clear understanding as to what is to come. And more definitely, and most definitely, as we enter into these days of evil. But never focusing on the days of evil. We need to be focusing on the glory that's coming. We need to focus on the finish line, the prize of our salvation being completed in Jesus Christ as he comes again to either bring us back or when we die. And importantly, along with that, is not just for ourselves, but as we read earlier, God's heart is for the entire world to be filled with his glory. And we are the instruments by which that happens. As we are obedient in all things of Jesus Christ, truly following after him, we reflect his glory wherever we go. As we walk out of this building, we reflect his glory. As we go to our workplace, we reflect his glory. As we talk, as we bump into people in the marketplace, we reflect his glory. And we have an opportunity of being an instrument that may be the difference between somebody's salvation or somebody going to hell. If you knew the number of people that would go to hell because we fail to tell our story, how would you feel? I'm glad God doesn't reveal that to us. But honestly, my heart is for the heart of Jesus Christ who died for a lost world. And that we carry that lostness as they something personal where we want for hearts to be saved. They overcame by the blood of the lamb, the word, the word of, of his testimony, testimony, and they love not their lives to death. So in the next weeks, we're gonna be talking about current events and biblical prophecy. The Great Wars, Gog Magog, Armageddon. We're going to do a series on, or we're going to do a lesson on the Antichrist, the seven churches, the ten virgins, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bulls. We're going to do a whole, a whole Sunday on the rapture, pre, mid, post, pan, pre wrath, <laughs> all of those. We're going to do one on the future, and I'm actually looking forward to this lesson because we're going to talk about transhumanism and things that still have to occur in the earth, and then we're going to end the the series uh, with the glorious church, the bride of Christ. And, uh, you know, we're really looking forward to continuing these conversations with all of you. But as we all stand together right now, and we, uh, we're going to take the...
communion or the Lord's Supper. And, you know, there's, a, there's an admonishment in the scripture that when we come to the table, we need to make sure that our heart is right with God. So, you know, you, you need to always be examining your heart before you partake of the covenant meal to make sure there's no unforgiveness and that there's no sin in your life. So if there's sin, you confess it to God. If you have unforgiveness, it says, release, let it go, you know, and, and forgive others of their sins against you. So Father, as we have the bread on our hands right now, I thank you that in your brokenness, you made a way for us to be whole. Lord, in the day and hour that we live in and we see so much brokenness around us, we know that Jesus is alive and powerful and operating in the earth today to bring restoration, to bring healing to the mind and the body and the spirit. So as we have the bread in our hands right now, we look to you, our source of wisdom, to guide us through this life, that we don't have to be anxious or afraid or terrified about the things we see coming on the earth. We can stand firm with resolve knowing that God is gonna see us through. He upholds us with his mighty right hand and that our eternal salvation is assured with Jesus because of the cross in Jesus' name. As we reflect on the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm reminded that it is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have a testimony to tell. It's because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have a story. My story is that Jesus Christ loved me so much that he came and died for me. But he didn't just die for me. He died for each and every one of us. And he died for the entire world that the world could be saved and have knowledge of him. And so Father God, as we partake of this cup, May we be reminded, not just for ourselves, but may we be reminded of the love that you shed for all humanity, Father God. May my heart be stirred, Father God, for those around me in my neighborhood, in my workplace, Father God, that they too need to hear of your love. And as I tell my story, may you stir in their hearts a desire to know you as well. Thank you for the shed blood which gives me forgiveness of sins.